0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. All right. Have you got your Bibles? Yeah. It's a, church is actually a pretty good place to bring your Bible to. It's a safe place to bring your Bible to. But if you didn't bring your Bible, uh, uh, we have it up here on the screen for you. But we're going to... Today I've just titled this message, Independence. Two words. Independence. All right. And we are going to look over a little bit of the life of David for the next few minutes. I, and I know what time it is, even though, you know, the old joke was where the kid asked his dad, dad, what does it mean when the preacher looks at the clock or his watch? He said, apparently nothing. Son. <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> I, I understand what time it is. Uh, so we won't get through all this message today. Uh It'll be finished next week, but uh, I'm very excited also to just let you know about a sermon series I'm going to start on July 17th, which is two weeks from today, and it's called Fill This House, and uh, I cannot wait to share this with you, and I think that it's going to really light a fire in all of us together as a church and uh, one that will never be quenched, amen. So I'm I'm very excited about that, Fill This House, that starts in two weeks. But today, um, I want us to take our Bibles and go to the first Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and uh, I want you to look at, we're going to look at this pattern in David's life for just a moment. King David, who is the great king, and uh, the one who Jesus um, would become a son of, the scripture says they called him the son of David, and Jesus will himself sit on the literal throne of David, not too far down the road. Hallelujah. Verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says, thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen thee. See, uh, the first king of Israel is a man by the name of Saul. And Saul had been rejected by God because he did not please God. He did things that were against God. And so God said, okay, I've rejected him. So he tells Samuel, who was the prophet of that time, Samuel's just mourning over Saul. And he loved Saul very much. And God said, how long are you going to do that? Take some oil. I want you to go down to the Uh, a man named Jesse's house. I want you to anoint whoever I tell you there. So Jesse shows up there and I mean, Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and he's lined up seven sons here. The first one being the oldest son by the name of Eliab. Eliab was tall. He was handsome. He was strong. He was a warrior. And Samuel, when he saw him said, surely this is the one. And God said, no, you look at the outside. I look at the heart. I've refused him. And then the next son was refused. And then the next son was refused. And all the way down through seven sons. And then finally, Jesse says, uh, I mean, Samuel says, Do you have, are there any other sons? Now, let's, continue, let's pick back up here. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. So I'm assuming he's just pointing out in the pasture out there and says, there he is keeping the sheep. Pointing to David. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah or Ramah. Now it's very interesting. Now we don't know all about David's upbringing and what his family situation was, but it does seem there were some strained relationships. Um, One place, David says that I was conceived in sin. We don't know if maybe he had a different mother than his brothers did, but there was obviously some tension, and even from dad himself, who did not think enough of David to bring him, to present him with the other brothers before the prophet of God. And so he's overlooked by his dad, seen as someone who would be insignificant to this event, and yet that's exactly who God picked. So now an opportunity comes into David's life. An opportunity or a doorway has been opened where he can now, if he chooses to, walk through that doorway and begin to act out these issues in his life. He can let these things take effect on how he thinks, how he talks, his attitude. David has the opportunity here to let his daddy issues be known by everybody, to everyone. Now, we're going to go to a second part now, the, the the next chapter actually. His brothers have gone off to war. The Philistines have set themselves against Israel, and they are one of Israel's formidable foes, no doubt about it. And so they, they, they're encamped one across from the other, and they're, they're in, in battle uh, formation And yet, all of a sudden, this man steps out from amidst uh, the Philistine army, and he's huge, nine and a half feet tall, the scripture says. His name is Goliath. And he says, we're not going to fight like we normally do. He says, send me a man. And we're going to go one man on one man, hand-to-hand combat. If we win, if I win, you're going to serve us. If Whoever your guy is prevails over me, then we will be your servants, and that's how this is going to work. So send me a man, because I defy any of you guys. I defy the armies of Israel. I mean, he's a foul, vile man. And he convinced them that they were going to lose this thing just by his height, his stature, his ominous appearance, and his loud mouth. And so nobody dared take Goliath's challenge. 40 days, 40 days he had done this and no one had answered the challenge. And then David shows up on day 40 because his dad said, I need you to go find out how your brothers are doing and send me news of the war. So he goes and takes some gifts, some bread and cheese and shows up there. And, And as he gets there, right about the time he shows up, Goliath steps out with his 40th challenge. Send me a man. I defy the armies of Israel. So then they overhear someone say, did you see that? Did you see that, 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 that giant? And, and do you know what the king will do for the guy who kills him? And David says, what's, what will happen? They get the king's daughter, they get great riches, and their families tax-free forever. So then the scripture says, so David asks again, what's that deal again? And as he's asking, Eliab walks up to him. And his oldest brother And this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, verse 29, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And look what David says to him. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? I have a feeling that Eliab has some issues he's dealing with. And one of the issues I think he's dealing with is the issue of envy and jealousy because he got passed over when the prophet came. He's the oldest, he's the strongest, he's the baddest of them all, and they go pick his little brother out in the pasture to become the future king of Israel. So I think big brother's taking a moment to get one back, get one over on David. So instead of being the the protector that the older brother should be, the one who would watch over his little brother. Instead, he's shaming him in front of all. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep with? Your little insignificant job out there, David. So now David's shamed by his oldest brother before all of these. Probably embarrassed. He's got some issues piling up in his life that could potentially hurt him down the road. Let's look at the next chapter. No, let's not look at the next chapter. (laughs) As time goes by, Saul the king becomes extremely jealous of David because he realizes that God is with this young man and he realizes he's no longer with him as he once was. And so Saul gets so eaten up with this envy and this jealousy and this rage and hatred toward this young man, that he tries to kill him. There was a spirit that had come upon Saul, an evil spirit, after the spirit of God had departed from him, and it would agitate him and it would and it would uh, uh, vex him greatly. So then they hired David, the musician, to come in, and he would play up on the harp, and that spirit would leave him. Well, this one day David's in there ministering to him, and 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 this anger comes up on Saul, so he grabs a spear and he throws it toward David to try to pin him to the wall. David's able to escape the spear. This happened on two different occasions. And David loves Saul. He loves his king. He honors his king. But Saul is, he's eaten up with this. But David finds, Saul even tries to get his son Jonathan, who is David's best friend. Now that's an amazing thing by itself. But He's David's best friend. Saul even tries to get his son, Jonathan, to kill David, and Jonathan wouldn't have any part of it. And before long, as time goes on, Saul has a group of 3,000 men, and they're hunting David down to kill him. I mean, he's, he's completely consumed with killing David. He's out chasing him down like a dog. David's having to hide in mountains, any place he can, any kind of little stronghold he can hold up. But he found himself and his other guys in this cave, in this real deep cave, uh, in this mountain, and, and sure enough, Solomon, I mean Saul and his men show up there, and Saul actually walks into the cave to take care of some business. And while he's doing his business, David and his men are back deep in that cave, and they're seeing Saul right there, right there in front of him, and his guys say, "David, this is your chance, man. I mean, God just gave him over to go take his head off." So David sneaks up behind Saul. And he grabs the the bottom part of his robe and he cuts it off with a knife and he sneaks back into that darkness. And the scripture says that when he did that, his heart struck against him on the inside. His heart, The King James says his heart smote him. That is, his own heart said, that's not right what you just did, David. All he did was cut the guy's robe off. He could have cut his head off. But he said, far be it from me to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. You know, his, his men had been thinking, are you crazy? So Saul finishes, he leaves the cave. David waits a little bit, and then here in a little bit, he comes out holding that robe up, that torn piece, and he says, King, why are you chasing me down? I had the opportunity to kill you, and I didn't do it. And whatever it is that you think has been going on with me, I have no evil in my heart against you. You see the integrity of my heart. I honor you. And so he's telling, and finally King Saul says, David, is that you? And he says, yes, it's me. He said, please forgive me. Today I realize you are a more righteous man than I am. And Saul left. And you think that he's done. You think he's learned his lesson. But as he's at home, one of his guys gives him a report, hey, we heard that David and his men are over here. So what does Saul do? He gathers up, gathers up his 3,000 men again, and he goes out after him to kill him again. This time, they're in a valley, and Saul is asleep in a little ravine next to his number one man named Abner, and all the rest of the men are sleeping all around him. So he's right in the center of all of it, just for protection. And the scripture says that David and his men are looking down from this ridge, and they see all of them asleep, and David says... Uh, grabs one of his guys and says let's go down there so he takes this guy down there and they sneak right up next to Saul and this guy goes okay David I understand at this point you're not going to kill the king let me have him right here right now let's finish this deal once for all this is ridiculous and David says no none of us are going to raise our hand against the Lord's anointing that's not going to happen but grab his spear and get his water his jug of water let's get out of here So they grab Saul's spear and his jugular, and they they get out of there, and he gets back up on the ridge, and then he says, "'Hey, Abner!' He hollers down to this fighting machine named Abner, his right-hand man, the secret service for Saul. "'Hey, Abner! Where were you, big buddy? See this? See this? Where were you?' "'You almost let your king die tonight.'" And Saul's like, "'I'm sorry, David!' Uh, this time, I really mean it. So David figures out, Saul's not a man of his word, and Saul's not a man of integrity. Let's look at this next scripture reference. Are you still with me? Can you stay with me? Amen. Chapter 27, and David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. And there's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. The Philistines? Isn't that the last place you want to go if you're an Israelite? And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath. Now, where's Gath? What's Gath? Gath is the hometown of Goliath. All right, here he is in the royal city of Gath. In the hometown of their worst enemy, he and his men, each man in his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he saw him no more. So I think Saul's thinking, okay, now David has joined forces with the Philistines. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that. So the story goes on to tell us that, that David told King Achish, I shouldn't be here in the royal city. With you, give us a town. So he gave him a town called Ziklag, and that, that, that city was given to, to the kings of Judah from that day forward. All right, so here they are in Ziklag, and he's there for a year and four months. All right, let's go to the next chapter, chapter 28. I'm going somewhere. I know where I'm going. Verse, uh, no, let's not do that one. Let's go to chapter 20, chapter 30, sorry. Chapter 28 is where. Uh, finally, Israel and, and the Philistines are going to fight again, all right? Now, it's kind of interesting that while David is there in Ziklag with his men, they would go on these raids, and they would raid another one of their longtime enemies, a, a group of, of they, I mean, these guys did not fight right. They fought dirty. They were called the Amalekites, and they, they would go raid there and, and all these different enemies of Israel, and they would bring back spoils from the war. So then Achish would ask David, hey, where have you been? Well, he didn't tell him where he actually had been. He'd say, oh, we've been uh, raiding the south part of Judah and and like he's been raiding his own people, Israel. And so Achish is like, oh man, I've got this guy wrapped around my finger. But he didn't. So finally, a, a war has broke out between Israel and Philistines and King Achish tells David, you're going with me today. And David says, oh yeah, you're going to see what I can do. With no plans to help Achish whatsoever. Because David and his 600 men are set up in the back. So all he knows is that now, if Israel's going to be in front, we're going to be in back, we're going to kill these guys for good. We're going to wipe out the Philistines once for all. So they get there, and the Philistine lords, they're walking through, and they're numbering all the guys of the army, finding out where they're going to be placed in their battle strategy and all that. And they come down to the end of the line, there's King Achish, David and his 600 men. They say, whoa, 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 what's this about? And King Achacus said, oh, he's going to go with this. His heart is loyal to me. You wait till you see what this guy can do for the Philistines today. And they said, that is not going to happen. Do you not remember history? Do you remember Goliath? Do you remember that song that was the number one uh, download on iTunes? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They knew the words to the song. They said, this is not happening. So the king had to turn to David and say, sorry. Now listen, up to this point, David has had trouble at home with his father, trouble with his brothers, trouble trying to escape from his king so he can survive. Can you see that some possible issues can be piling up in his life? And let me remind you that David hasn't done anything wrong here. David has kept his integrity intact. David continues to seek the Lord, and yet he keeps finding himself being wronged. So now the Philistines even reject him. Nope, you're not going with us. So they go on this three days journey back to their hometown, their new hometown called Ziklag. Let's look at verse one of chapter 30. Okay, we're circling the airport. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. So all right, little revenge move right here. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Let me just say for the Malachites, that's pretty miraculous that they didn't kill anybody. All right? These guys were dirty. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Verse 5. And David's two wives, Ahithophon, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Verse 6. Now, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Now, who are these people? These are his brothers in arms. I mean, if you're going to be tight with anybody, you're going to be tight with the guys that you're in battle with, right? And yet, now they're all. They don't trust his leadership anymore. See, they forgot something. They forgot that years ago, there was a place called the Cave of Adullam where they had all come to David at this time. And The scripture says this about them, that they were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontented, and David became the captain over all of them, and he trained them how to fight. This man made warriors out of weaklings and built a mighty, mighty army right here in this cave, and now he's ready to go out of here. Now, Now he gets them here to this point, and they go, Okay, following you only leads to trouble, David. Now, we've picked up your pattern in life, where you always end up losing. You always end up on the wrong end, on the losing side. So now they're so distressed, they're thinking about killing. Of course, nobody does, obviously, right? I mean, (laughs) they're not that stupid. And the the scripture says, David becomes greatly distressed. Now think about it. This guy has done nothing but face rejection rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. And yet here it is. Here's another doorway that's open to David where he can finally begin to arm himself with excuses of why he's done, why he's quitting, why it has never worked out for him, why he continually becomes the victim in every circumstance, why he always ends up losing. If I'm looking at David's life, I think, David, you have a right right here to a full-blown pity party. I'll even show up at that party. I'm feeling what he, I'm feeling for this guy. Can you, can you understand a little bit of what David's going through at this point? Doesn't he have a right to be angry? Doesn't he have a right to be bitter? Doesn't he have a right? And yet, here's the opportunity. Here's the doorway. Everything that he can think of, all those memories, one after another, of hurt, of loss. Why? Why? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything to deserve this, and yet this is my lot in life. That doorway's there, but there's another doorway. There's another opportunity that's there. There's something else to remember amidst all of that trouble, all of that hurt, all of that trial. On the day that my dad overlooked me, God anointed me king. Wait a second. God was there. God was there in that moment. On that day that Eliab shamed me in front of everybody, I beat Goliath on that very day. God was there. When King Saul was hunting me down like a dog. God made his son to become my best friend. When he was hunting me down, God put him in my hands. I had two opportunities to kill him. God was there. Even when my king wasn't. Even when my dad wasn't. Even when my brothers weren't. God was there every time. Amen. Wait a second. If God's been there in every day, bad day, every bad experience in my life, then I'm not in a hopeless situation right here right now. Now I know my wife and kids are not here. Everything's been taken. Our city's been burned. But there's a chance. There's hope because God is with us. And the scripture says, David didn't go through that doorway of a victim. He didn't choose to lay down and suck his thumb and give up on life. He didn't choose that victim mentality. No, no, no. This day, he walked through another door. This day, he did something else. When everybody else was distressed and against him, the scripture says here in verse 6, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The word literally means to attach to or to lay hold of. I mean, he grabbed a hold of God and he didn't let go. God, I need you right now. You were there for me. You've always been there for me. I need your help right now. This is beyond us. This is beyond my ability. But Father God, I realize that you've always been there even when others weren't. Even when people who should have been for me weren't there. God, you've always proved yourself to be faithful. So I choose today not to be a victim to my circumstances. I choose not to identify with the rejection that I have faced in my life. No, I'm gonna find strength in the Lord, my God. Yeah, Amen. And he says, bring me the ephod. Or the ephod. The ephod was a thing that the priest wore across his chest here. And it was fabric. In a square that had these 12 stones sewn into it. And on those stones was engraved each tribe of Israel. 12 stones, 12 tribes had their names. And behind those stones was a little pocket where they laid these other stones called the Urim and the Tumum, which means the lights and perfections. And they would put them, those stones behind there, and then they would call upon the Lord, and then God would speak to them through the stones. Those, the letters on the, on the names of the children of Israel would light up, and this is how God would respond to them by spelling out their victory, by spelling out his answer to them. Very interesting, huh? He said, bring me the ephod. And so he said, God, should we, can we go get our wives and family back? Can we get our stuff back? And the Lord said, pursue them, David. Not only will you get them, you're gonna recover everything. And that's all he needed. Got a word from God, and I have to stop right there. So next week, in the great in the words of the great Paul Harvey, you will know the rest of the story. (laughs) But next week, it's a marvelous, marvelous ending. It's a marvelous ending. And so I just want to encourage you today, my family, no matter what has happened in your life, don't go through the doorway of the weak. Don't go through the doorway of the victim. Don't accept that as your final outcome. I don't care what others have done to you. I do care. Please understand. I do care what others have done to you. What I'm saying in the grand scheme of life, though, knowing that God is on your side, God is with you, God is good, God can be trusted, and he will always give you the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Always. So no matter what you've done or what others have done to you, today, if you'll just begin to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God and let God do for you what he wants to do. Let him help you. Let him bring you peace. Let him show you what he can do. Let him show you the victory. Let him take you to that good end. Amen. Let him provide for you. Let him help you. The scripture says that he is a very present help in time of trouble. Maybe you're in trouble today, but that's not your final thing. Hallelujah. There's help for you today. And there's a future and there's a hope for you from God. However you got where you are right now, this isn't the end. This is an opportunity. This is a doorway. And if you'll take this doorway that leads to life, if you'll take the doorway that says, I'm attaching myself to him, I'm putting my faith in God today. and do that. And experience the victory that is truly yours. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Father, you know every person in this room. You know everyone who is listening to this message right now, whether it's here in the room or by live stream or through podcasts. You know, Lord. You know their situation. You know their trouble. You know, God. And you have an answer. You have a way that they may not see or may not can provide themselves. But, Lord, you said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And as long as Jesus Christ is the way, there is always a way. Hallelujah. There's always a way out of our trouble. There's always a way through. There's always a way up. Always a way out. Hallelujah. And, Lord, we thank you that you who did not spare your own son, but you delivered Jesus up for all of us, how shall you not with him also freely give us all things? You gave us Jesus, you'll give us anything. I thank you, Lord, right now for providing, for helping, for strengthening those here today who have found themselves at this threshold. I can go victim or I can go victor. (laughs) I can go down or I can go up. I can choose death or I can choose life. And today, let me encourage you today. Choose life. Choose victory. He is here for you. He loves you. Let Him heal you. Let Him restore you. Let Him do it. Hallelujah. Greater is He that's in you than he that is in the world today. In the name of Jesus. There is nothing in the world that two people can't do as long as one of them is God and the other one is you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.